Welcome to Breaking Bible with Tully Adventurers. Explore. It's a good day for some good news. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. That's Jesus' good news to us in John 16, 33. As we face this new day and all it has for us, we find courage and hope in the only trustworthy words available. Tully Adventurers, explore. The Bible. This morning we are in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We hope that you will take a moment to listen to it, and then we're going to discuss it together. We're very grateful to have this time with you, and thank you for spending this time with us. So, as we move into 1 Timothy, oh, excuse me, chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4, Jennifer, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? Well, what just popped into my head, which tells me the Holy Spirit's speaking it to me, uh-huh. is um, teach with your life. So often, um, as we talk about the Bible just arbitrarily throughout the day, um, I find myself saying things to you like, I don't know those stories. So I don't have that same point of reference as you. And just this one line reminds me that even though I don't know all the stories and all the ins and outs of it yet, the best teaching I can do is how I live my life and how I interact with people in the world. You're onto something there. Absolutely. Because uh, it's all fine and good to sit here and talk about, you know, how things should be and what we're called to do and all that stuff and then get out in the world and get out in the world and what? What happens? I get frustrated with people mm-hmm. and I want to treat them poorly it's one of the main aspects of reading the Bible is understanding that we're human beings and as we read all the stories in the Old Testament it's easy to think that we're better than those people because we have different technology or we have different we've lived we're standing on their shoulders so we should know better than they they do and yet The whole purpose of the stories is to show us these universal truths of how human beings actually interact with each other. And we figure out that people all over the world are still doing the exact same things that the people in the Bible did. They might be doing it in a different way. They might use a different technology to do it. But what comes to my mind right this moment is the people in the crowd as they they scream at Jesus and he's going to be crucified and they're yelling at him and calling him names and just just a week before those same people had been laying palm fronds at his feet saying he's the king he's the the one who he's the messiah the one who's come to save us and in one week that same crowd 
has become cancel culture saying he deserves to die. We would rather have him die than this criminal who actually deserves death because they're a murderer and they're, uh, they're done things that deserve death. We don't want you to kill this murderer. We don't want this murderer to have the consequences of their actions. Let's kill the teacher who's trying to help us learn how to love each other and how to live rightly and in right relationship with God. We don't want to hear any more about the fact that you have to grow as a human being. And so we think about cancel culture today, and it's it's the same thing. These people who think that, you know, Kevin Hart is this great comedian who should be enjoyed for what he does, and he, he brings laughter, and then it's time for him to, you know, host the Oscars. I think that's what it was that he was going to do. And that those same people come out and scream, no, he doesn't get to do that. He doesn't deserve it because... You know, 20 years ago, he said something that we don't like now. And isn't it heartbreaking that the same, it's, it's a different way of doing it. You know, most of them probably did it over the internet. They weren't willing to actually go stand somewhere and protest and be seen as a person who was willing to do that. But it's still that mob mentality. It's still the destruction of... And I'm not saying that Kevin Hart is Jesus, so please don't <laughs> misquote me by saying that. My point is, we as human beings are still doing the same things today that people did in the ancient world. We just have a different way of doing it, and that different way does not make us better. It looked like you had a, a light bulb moment. Can you tell us about that, Jen? Yeah. Um, years ago, <clears throat> I used to watch this... Um lady who cooked on TV and I I loved what she cooked it was southern food generally and it was it wasn't she was just cooking and enjoying it and uh, I'll just say who it was it was Paula Dean mm -hmm. and I loved watching her <laughs> she talked about her family and it was very like rich foods a lot of butter a lot of you know there was no, like, that food is bad. Like, there was none of that. It was just... It was good old southern cooking. Yeah, she just was enjoying it. And and I enjoyed watching her. And then one day, somebody said that she had made a mistake and had used a word. She'd used the N-word many, many years previous. Mm. Before she was on TV, before... What? Before... Yeah. Just before. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that it's okay that she said that, but like they literally ripped the, <laughs> the the rug out from under her because of a mistake that she had made way back when. And she tried to explain the context and she apologized mm -hmm. and did all the things that I would hope a person would do if they made a mistake and didn't matter. As a culture, we were unwilling to forgive. Yeah, and I just think how many times I've made mistakes in my life and... Wanted forgiveness, needed forgiveness. Yeah. Absolutely. And the thing is, we all do it. We all make mistakes. We all sin. It just might look different. The way I sin might be different than the way you sin. 
and it's rough. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And we all want that forgiveness as individual people, but it's so easy to not give it if the person is famous or if the person has more money than we do, or if the person has something, if we envy the person, <clears throat> it's, it's that spiral of the seven deadly sins. Mm -hmm. Well, my pride says that I should have whatever Kevin Hart or Paula Dean have. And since I don't, I now envy them because they get to have something that I don't have. And my ego tells me that I deserve what they have. And so instead of, now being willing to forgive, I'm going to let anger give me the energy to destroy that person. I'll find anything, something they did in the past that should have been and has probably been forgiven. I would imagine the people who were involved have forgiven her, Paula Dean or Kevin Hart already. But we, as people who don't get to have the life that these people have and are now feeling pride, envy, anger, sloth. We're not, we're not in a spiritual good place because we haven't taken care of our spiritual life with God. Um, man, I can't even think of what all the seven deadly sins are at this point, but it's so easy for all of them to just jump in and then we destroy people's lives and create mobs of people. We gossip about people until we create a mob of people who will all go together with us to be this destructive force, not considering the reality that when that anyone could do the same thing to us, anyone could go and find something we did at some point in our life that would be absolutely destroy anything that we are doing now. We all have those things and we all need to be forgiven. Can you imagine if you're sitting at your job and, you know, you love your job and, and other people enjoy the way you do your job and you're, you're just doing it. You're, you're doing your life. And then one day your face is plastered all over the news and, you know, some sin that you did 20 years ago is brought up. And no matter what you say about it, no matter how many times you've asked for forgiveness, no matter, you know, even if you made right with the person that whoever the sin was against, and they just pull the rug out from under your life, I don't, I don't think that people consider that that could happen to them. Right. And that the more they do that to people, that the more likely it is to happen to them too. Well, what's interesting is... It is an epidemic, a pandemic that happens when our culture claims that individual freedom and individual rights are more important than the communal good. And there has to be a balance between the two. And of yeah. course, that's one of those dichotomies. And I love talking about dichotomies right now between, you know, God is capable of having empathy for every individual person, being able to walk in their shoes, but also having compassion. Compassion starts with calm because it's community. And compassion takes into account how this person's individual actions do affect the community. And then also that 
every individual sins. We are, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and so we all need forgiveness. Um, and so to bring it back to what this whole conversation and the point of this conversation is about, here Paul is talking to Timothy to teach him how to be um, the pastor of a church. And I love it that he tells him, look, this is the way people are. Here's a universal truth. This is how human beings interact with the world. And whether you give them a cell phone where they can, and a, an app like Twitter or Facebook, any social media where they can throw out whatever they're feeling or whatever they, with no consideration of how it's going to affect other people, or whether you give them the chance to gossip at the local water well or the local bar or wherever it is, human beings are going to interact with the world in this way. And so I'll read verses 1 through 5 again. The Spirit makes it clear that as time goes on, some are going to give up on the faith and chase after demonic illusions put forth by professional liars. There are people who are professional liars. Their whole goal is to cause destruction and to make themselves famous or an influencer or someone interesting by lying to people. These liars have lied so well and for so long that they've lost their capacity for truth. And how painful is it that if you don't know the professional liars are out there who are not going to tell you the truth, it's so easy to follow after them and to be influenced by them. They will tell you not to get married. Ooh, that's a big one in our culture today. I want to feel safe, but I'm not willing to get within the boundaries of marriage. I'm not willing to stay within the boundaries of traditional ideas. I want to be safe and I want to do whatever I want. You don't get to have both. You can't have both. If you're going to do whatever you want, you're risking not being safe. And if you want to be safe, you're not going to get to take certain risks. That's how life works. And We'll get to that more on that in a minute, but they'll, they'll tell you not to eat this or that food. Perfectly good food God created to be eaten heartily and with thanksgiving by believers who know better. And I love this because in the audio version, this is a point where it said by Christians. But we have to understand that just because someone says they're a Christian does not mean they're a believer who knows better. There are plenty of people who claim to be Christians and they don't understand the first thing about who Jesus is and what it means and what all of the stories in the Bible are. They're baby Christians, if that. And so we need to understand there is, and here's a word that's a big hot word, a hierarchy. And it's just how human beings work. There are people who are wise who can be trusted. There are people who foolish who you cannot trust. And there are people who are evil who are trying to cause destruction. And we see that play out all the time. And it's playing out here. Everything God created is good and to be received with thanks. Nothing is to be sneered at and thrown out. God's word and our prayers make every item in creation holy. And I grew up, you know, my dad was an alcoholic. He drank himself to death. And it's heartbreaking because... I know, or I believe, I don't know, I believe that he drank himself to death because he was in so much pain that he just wanted something to numb that hurt. And that's not an excuse. That's not an excuse for drinking yourself to death. There's this <laughs> silly cliche, and it's 
everything in moderation. And what's the problem with us human beings? We hear slogans and cliches and we say, eh, forget that. <laughs> I was listening to Russell Howard in his comedy special Lubricant and he pointed out <laughs> the slogan on every beer bottle is drink responsibly. And what do we do? <laughs> we drink irresponsibly. <laughs> We go nuts because we're human beings and that's how we interact with the world. I want to do what I want to do, so I'm going to do it and it doesn't matter who it hurts. It doesn't matter if I'm going to be absolutely destroyed by this tomorrow and incapable of doing what I need to do. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And so it's funny because then on the flip side of that, you get these religious people and they claim to be Christians, but they're actually just teetotalers. And a teetotaler is someone who tells you you shouldn't eat that or you shouldn't drink that. Drinking alcohol is bad. And I grew up with that. The fear of my son's going to be an alcoholic because my dad, because his dad was an alcoholic, um, makes you overcorrect. There's a beautiful place where, like Paul says, you can enjoy everything because everything God created is good and to be received with thanks. But when you enjoy it, enjoy it without letting it ruin or rule your life. And that's a hard thing to do. And we all struggle with it. And I've had my struggles with alcohol, and I've had my struggles with cigarettes, and I've had my struggles with all these things. And it's easy to fall into a place where you let it rule your life. Any thoughts at this point in time, my love? <clears throat> yeah. Um just hearing you tell that story about your dad and how you grew up with, you know, all day, every day, you know, alcohol's bad, alcohol's, you know, evil. Don't ever, don't ever drink alcohol. And what comes of that is you want to dry alcohol. Mm -hmm. And I think about, you know, with my own children, um, raising them, knowing that their father was a, um, a drug addict and you know having this just horrible fear for them um, and I can remember telling them you know other kids you know may do this drug you know a, a thousand times and it not be an issue and you may do it twice and it be an issue and I know that it made me overcorrect yeah. and I remember at one point sitting down with my oldest and saying, you know, as a parent, there are things that you'll do that are decisions that you'll make and attitudes that you'll adopt that will be totally fact-based. And there are other ones that you'll make that are absolutely fear-based. And I'm not gonna lie, this one's a fear-based. And my son said to me, but you can't hold me accountable to the sins of my father. And I remember just, wow. <laughs> wow. Why wow? Because that was what I was doing. Mm. I was holding him accountable for sins that he didn't even, he didn't even do. Yeah. And that's a normal human thing as well. We get hurt by someone, we make an inner vow and say, yeah. this will never happen to me again. I'll never let anyone hurt me by doing this thing. And 
then we hold people accountable for things that they didn't even do just because we're trying to protect ourselves. Absolutely. And there was a part of me that wanted to protect them, mm-hmm. but there was more part of me that wanted to protect me because it had been so painful to go through with their father. And uh, years later, I remember sitting down with both sons and just saying, you remember how I was so ridiculous about that one thing? Like, just so <laughs> over the top. And they were like, oh, yeah. I apologized for that. That's that's amazing. That's really beautiful. Uh-huh. And I'm guessing they forgave you and had already forgiven. <laughs> I still felt bad about it later and tried to apologize again. And both sons were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We, we've been through this. We're good. You're good, Mom. We already uh-huh. we already did this. Uh-huh. You, you can let that go. <laughs> but isn't that crazy how that's another part of the professional liars and we have an enemy who is the professional liar who tells us that we're still in trouble for something that people have already forgiven us for and it's heartbreaking because we can get so trapped we have these inner vows we don't want to get hurt and so we keep doing things to other people that we don't need to do because that's already been forgiven. That's gone. That's not affecting the community anymore. Yeah. So come back with me to um, the professional liars who have lost their capacity for truth. They will tell you not to get married. Last night we had a great conversation. And part of it was about how marriage stacks up in a hierarchy of good. Um, and what is holy and what is best. And it was based on, um, we listened to an interview of Jonathan Pagau, and I'm saying his name incorrectly because I'm not French, so forgive me, uh, talking about swear words and the argument against swear words. And I really enjoyed our conversation, and I'm grateful for it. Um, and you can go and listen to that. We'll put that in the YouTube uh, in the comment section so you can go check that out. What we got from it was that swear words bring things that are supposed to be kept in the dark and bring them out into the light and make them glamorous or glamorize them. And what's the big deal? Like, it's just a word. Why, why would that matter or be important? And yet, (laughs) we've started this conversation this morning talking about how famous celebrities have said a word and have had their entire lives destroyed because people would not forgive them for saying that one word years and years and years ago. And where any of you stand on swearing is where you stand. And there is something to be said for what... What do we do when our world is upside down? And what do we do when relationships and, and dignity and authority are all out of whack? Which is where we're at in the world today. And we can see how that comes from, by listening to this argument, come from people swearing, from people bringing the things that are, that are low and unhelpful and making them the primary and important things. And so when it comes to marriage, 
And once again, you can check that video out and, and have your own argument with it. But for us, what it came to was, when you use the F word, you're saying, I want to use you for, for my own benefit and not care about you. I will use you as an object for my own pleasure or benefit. But then when you say, I want to have sex with you, it's still, there's just something about that that's, that's, it's not relational. It's still an objectification. It's still your, something that I get to use for my own pleasure. And then there's a next level, I want to make love to you. Well, at least that has some relational aspect to it. But it's still, I'm going to use you. And we might use each other. And we might have more of a romantic feeling or some emotional context for this thing that we're doing. But it's still not going to be the highest value or the highest good. And what God calls us to is marriage. Why? Because in marriage... First and foremost, you're protected from a lot of things that happen with making love. And you're also, the intimacy that you have with each other drives that physical act so that there's a safety to it. And I, I'm just so, I'm so baffled by people who on one hand are claiming we want safe spaces, we want to be safe, we want to feel safe. And with the other hand, they're throwing out there, I should get to do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want, however I want. And there's just this disconnect of, if I'm saying that I should get to do whatever I want, with whoever I want, wherever I want, whenever I want, then I'm also claiming that other people should have that right as well. Other people should be able to do to me whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want. And we, for some reason, there's this disconnect where we don't understand that's what we're saying. Why do you think that is? What do you think is, is going on there? What do you think is happening that would allow people to say, we don't want the bondage of marriage. We don't want to be stuck in that you know, safe place where this thing can happen that's going to actually be valuable and good and worthwhile and sometimes difficult because this other person is going to drive me insane because I actually have to put up with them and deal with them, but also they have to put up with me and deal with me. And we have the opportunity to learn how to protect each other as individuals from the things that hurt us, which is the whole point of marriage. How is it that we're at this place where we want to be safe, but we're not willing to do the thing that's going to actually give us that safety? What do you, what do you think about that? <clears throat> well, I think all that stuff starts with somebody trying to mitigate their own pain. Okay. Trying to eliminate their own pain. They don't want to hurt, so they want to do these things that they think mm -hmm. or feel like are going to make mm -hmm. them feel better. Mm -hmm. And they don't want to allow other people to do what they want and what will make them feel better because it will hurt the individual we started with. Mm -hmm. And so I think that in trying to eliminate their own suffering, that's how they come up with these double standards of, uh, you know, for their own behavior. And I think that it's so easy today I know I catch myself all the time 
living in the shoulds. Mm. Tell me more. I've been working this amount of years. I should be able to do this. Mm. Uh, I shouldn't have to do that. Um, I think a lot of it for me revolves around that. You know, I've done this job for this many years. I shouldn't have to, you know, put up with that petty bullshit or whatever. Speaking of swearing. <laughs> so the funny thing, can I just backtrack ahead, for a second? Yeah, the funny absolutely. thing about about this conversation we had about swearing last night and just so you know we didn't come to the we're never going to swear again kind of conclusion like that would be the most ridiculous thing ever because i me have a terrible potty mouth in fact when we first met one of our first conversations was how many different contexts we could use the the f word in like so but it is a conversation that I'm pondering over. Like, I'm still thinking on that. Like, huh. Anyway, um, I kind of lost my train of thought there. So you were talking about the shoulds. Oh, the shoulds. And people should do this, but I should get to do whatever I want. Right. And then you used a swear word. So, of course, we fell back into. Yeah. There is an argument for the breakdown of relationships, the breakdown of standards. The breakdown of understanding and being empathetic towards other people, uh, double standards based on when we take these things that are that are low and should be kept in the dark and push them out into the light. You know, it, it brings us things like pornography. It brings, it brings us things like all kinds of things that that are best kept out of the public sphere, the common sphere. You don't want just like we don't want to step in dog poop as we're walking down the street, we don't want to step on human poop. And that brings up San Francisco where people were pooping on the sidewalk. Human beings were pooping on the sidewalk and there was nothing that anyone was doing about it. And you can't have a community, you can't have common good when those kind of things are happening. It, it's a breakdown of society. It's a breakdown of community and being willing to deny ourselves what we want to do, go out and poop on the street, for the common good. And so you were talking about shoulds, and why is why are these double standards occurring? And you said that for yourself, you've worked, and so it's a conversation we've had is what do we worship? And is there a time in your life where you worshiped work? Oh, yeah. And so when you worship work, the next outcome is because I've worked, I should get to do whatever I want, or I shouldn't have to do these things that are below me because I've spent this many years working. Do you want to keep going from there? Yeah. Um, another one is I've done this for you, so you should do this for me. Mm. And we don't say it that way. We're just, we do things for people and then we're hurt that they don't do them for us when really we've put a whole expectation on that and we we don't even realize we've done that. We haven't communicated it. It's just an unspoken expectation, which means that what we're doing for them is self-serving. It's not actually for them. Mm. Wow. That's a painful one. It really is because it's not how we 
typically, I think generally, it's not how people see it. How do you tell yourself about that? You tell yourself that you're doing it for yourself or you tell yourself? No, I tell myself that I'm doing it for them. Right. You know, I, I go out of my way. I, I enjoy, you know, watching people be happy. And, you know, I, I, I enjoy that, that feeling of, of I created some happiness for them. Um, but then I'm so hurt when they don't reciprocate. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and what that tells me is that, um, I'm actually doing it for my own good. I'm not actually doing it for them. And that's about generosity. Yes. And avarice is one of the other seven deadly sins or greed. We like to call it greed. And usually when we think about greed, we think about money. Yeah. Greed is only about money, right? Oh, no, no, no. Greed is about, I deserve this. I've, I've earned this. People should give me back happiness because, or like you were just saying, I'm only giving out happiness because it makes me happy. And I think one of the scariest things about what you're talking about is not only that greed is, greed's opposite is generosity. If I'm generous, I'm going to do these things because I actually want the other person's highest good, not happiness. Happiness is a fleeting emotional feeling. And sometimes I want that for myself. But if I want someone else's good, then I'm willing to meet them when they're grieving. I'm willing to meet them when they're sad. I'm willing to be generous with my time, even when it's not going to make me feel good. And that's a, that's a painful and scary and difficult thing to deal with. It's simple, but it's very difficult. And, and man, I just, I'm so tripped up by how easy it is to fall into this place where we all do this. We tell ourselves that we're doing, we're trying to be helpful to other people, but our help is not the kind of help that is actually for their highest good. It's just, I get to solve the puzzle or I get to feel good or I get, if they can at least smile and pretend to be happy, then I can tell myself that I am a good human being. And for me, as, as I think about all these things and I'm, I'm, I'm faced with all these things, uh, the way it plays out in culture is interesting to me. Uh, we went and watched Spider-Man No Way Home and I'm not gonna give away any spoilers, um, Dang, what a good movie. But we really loved the movie and we enjoyed it. And I was so struck by this idea that there was an idea, a theme in the movie that said we're supposed to help people. We're supposed to help people. And that's a great idea. But the problem I had was the help that was given, There's was the opposite side of it was people got to figure out or use their own smarts or use their own abilities. And it was still this, this ego drama, this, this all about the, the main character and not about what God is trying to do in the world. And because of it, it's so easy to get caught up in. If I want to be a superhero, I'm just going to go out and do things for people and help people with no concept of what is the greatest good? What is it? What does it mean to help people by just being with them while they grieve? 
What does it mean to help people by telling them the truth, even though it's going to cause them pain or suffering in the moment, when that truth, that, that helpful, that highest good is going to give them the opportunity to not have as much pain in the future? Am I willing to take away someone's happiness, someone's momentary, I feel good about myself, for the sake of, in the future, they're going to have a better life because they have to face this, this painful thing. Um, it, it brings me back to God judges, Jesus saves, the Holy Spirit convicts, and our job is to love. And if our job is to love, then our job is not to save people. Jesus saves people. And it's so easy and so tempting to get caught in, I'm going to save this person. I'm going to save them from hurting. I'm going to save them from being angry. I'm going to save them from building good boundaries so they can have relation, good relationships in the future. Because right now, if they'll have lesser boundaries, we can have some fun. I'm going to save them from fill in the blank. And most of the time, we think it's a good thing that we're giving them. But it's not that eternal thing. It's not that lifelong thing. It's such a small vision. It's so short-sighted. We're only seeing as far as we want to see so that we can do what we want to do. Go ahead, my lord. That reminds me of... Uh, I often come back to raising children because it's the context that I know. Um, and... I remember one of my sons was involved in, um, I, he wanted to play football. Mm -hmm. And uh, so his dad and I were separated at this point and his dad was helping to coach and whatever, he was involved. Um, and so we got him signed up and he started. Uh, he was uh, five years old, so he's just a little guy. And if you know my sons, when they were little, they were, they were, they were lanky little things, <laughs> uh, not, not hefty boys at that time anyway. Um, but at five years old, uh, they were expected to practice five days a week wow. and these five days a week were grueling. And I remember in the first week, my son coming home and telling me that there were kids that were throwing up. There were kids that were peeing their pants. There were, wow. they were working these kids really hard and I just, I knew that that was not going to be good for him. And I knew that he wanted to play and I fully encouraged the boys to do sports. I thought it, it was really good for them, but this was different. This was not, it was not good for their bodies. Mm -hmm. And I remember I pulled him from that sport and there was this argument uh, with their dad and I about, you know, they, it makes them happy and, and we should let them do what makes them happy. And so fast forward, as I look out into culture, I see um, a particular group of parents that are, you know, they're all about happiness for their, for their child. And, and I get that. I mean, th there is a great joy as a parent to watch your child be happy, trust me. Um, but that can become addictive. Mm -hmm. And it is not always good for your, for your children. And here's what I mean. I'm sure that a young child would love to eat candy all day long. Sure. 
But we know as parents, if we let them do that, they're going to throw it up later. Like it's going to, they're going to be sick. It's going to be bad. They're going to feel horrible. So in the long run, it's better to not let them experience this momentary happiness. And so that was my argument, you know, for that situation. Um, How did it play out years later for your sons? <laughs> uh both sons ended up becoming athletes all through school, all through high school. Uh, the oldest went on to be an all-American athlete in college, uh, led his, captained his team, led him to two, you know, uh, championships. Now he coaches kids. He's getting ready to take over and coach the team that he grew up in in high school. Not football, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> What's he playing now? He plays water polo. There you go. Um, which is a sport that he worked very hard at and served him well. Anyway, um, my point is just that it's so easy to chase these emotions. And trust me, I don't want to feel pain either. I don't. And I want to do what I want to do. But it's not the greater good. And I think that's what that's what's missing in cancel culture. That's what's... Some days that's what's missing in my life, the greater good. Um, and it's really something that's been on my mind lately. Like what is the greater good for my life? What's heartbreaking about even that statement, the greater good, um, is that that statement has been used by human beings to cause damage as well. Yeah. You know, we're so just like, chasing happiness is going to create problems. So making sure that people don't get to be happy is also going to cause problems. This isn't about one emotion over another one. No. And the greater good is not about happiness or sadness. It's being able to, I think the most heartbreaking thing for me is that as a culture, we're terrible at grieving. We're terrible at accepting losses. We're terrible at forgiving people for things that they did in the past and letting go of it and grieving the loss of who we thought a person was supposed to be. We're so terrible at grieving our idea of who people are or how things should be or what's supposed to happen or what I should personally get. And I struggle with it too. I struggle with grieving the loss of who I hoped I was going to be by this time in my life. Um, you know, people have their midlife crisis and, and that's what it is. It's just this, this grief of, I thought I was going to be this thing and it, and I'm not that thing. So how can I claim that my life is valuable or good or, and, and because we're not willing to grieve and let go of that idea, we miss out on who we really are and, and all of the, the great and wonderful things that are part of who we've become. Um, that theme actually plays out in the Spider-Man movie as well. Once again, really enjoyed the movie. There were great parts about it. There were some parts to be careful about and to consider, you know, how does, how do these ideas affect us? Um, but my point is as we, as we even use the term greater good, we miss God. And God is the essence of being. God is that, that perfect integrity that does not get pulled toward any of the dichotomies. God knows how to grieve. God knows how to suffer loss and 
deal with the pain. God lost his own son, watched his own son die. That's a huge way to understand how God understands us and knows what we go through and knows our pains and our sufferings. And he's going to use the smallest amount of pain to help us to grow into who we need to be. But what's sad is, once again, because we're not willing to grieve, God has to use more and more and more and allow more and more and more pain to come into our lives because we're just clinging to this thing that's actually going to destroy us. And I love your story that you just brought up where I know for me growing up, the idea of quitting was the worst thing. You cannot quit. That's the worst thing you could possibly do. And yet here's a great story of allowing a child to quit because the thing that they were doing wasn't actually helpful. Allowing a child to let go. Teaching a child how to let go of something that is a good thing. Playing football is great. Yeah. There's, playing sports is wonderful. Getting out into the sunshine and learning how to utilize your body in helpful and wonderful ways. All for it. And learning how and when to let go hugely important as well. So thank you for sharing that. So what a great story of grieving and letting go. And I would imagine that your son had some struggles around because he wanted to play football and not getting to play football stank. And I'm, as a five-year-old, for me personally, I'd probably cry and throw a temper tantrum and go through all kinds of things. I don't know if your son did any of that, but you know, the sad yeah. thing is that I loved football, <laughs> and I I wanted him to play too. You you, um, you could even say, go your team. Go Saints. <laughs> <laughs> Jen's decided which football team we're fans of. Go Saints. So you love football, and I do. so it it was a grieving process for you. And the great part is the. The title of this chapter is Teach With Your Life. Model for other people how to live. And so you showed your son how to grieve that loss. Because you were grieving too. You had to let go of the idea that your son was going to play football that year. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I was sad that he wasn't going to get to interact with his dad like that. I was sad that he wasn't going to you know, be playing football. I was sad that he had friends that he was playing with and he wasn't going to get to play with them. I mean, it was, it was sad all the way around, but it was the greater good for not just right this moment, but looking ahead. Um, and I, I want to come back to uh, my fears about using the term greater good. It was aligned with eternal reality. That's good. So when I say greater good, what I think of is, I think in my own head, I guess I should have said this out loud is what is God's greater good here? Like, what is his, how, how do I align with that? Cause that's where the greater good's going to live. It's going to live on that really fine. Wait, 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 but what do you mean by greater? Because you're still using that term. I like and that one. Again, I'm on that one right now. Once again, greater good has been used as an excuse for slavery. It's been used as an excuse for Kings and Queens getting to do whatever they want. It's been in, used it as an excuse for war this is the greater good and to say that good is bad would be dumb as well 
But once again, like every tool, like everything that exists, human beings have used it incorrectly. And I forgive the people who have used the term greater good for, for wrong purposes. I forgive them. That's not the point. The point is when we are, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe we should use the term greater good, but I think that it once again misses God. We, we are taking something that is in, in this middle, in this common ground. So cuss words are down here at the bottom. They're, they're things that should be kept in the dark because when you bring them out into the light, it's like Halloween, the monsters are running around and that means it's scary for normal human beings. But here we have what's common. So that's the lowest. Then we have this middle ground, which is what's common. In the common realm, we talk about good. In the common realm, we talk about good and bad. In, in our common human realm, we talk about, you know, happiness and emotions and chasing your emotions and all of these kinds of things. Then we move up into the sacred realm. And what we're shooting for, what we actually want when we use the term greater good is something that is sacred. But greater good is not a sacred terminology. Um, loving God, right relationship with God, Alignment with eternal truth. These are these are sacred concepts. And so I like where your head's at, and I like that you're moving, we're moving up towards in that direction. Um, we're not we're not swearing right now, which is nice, but we're still kind of stuck in this human terminology, this this individual, this short-sighted terminology. And I'm your story, I love your story. I, I'm grateful for it. And I just, I, I want to keep us driving towards the sacred, the holy, um, God's version of beauty. And I don't want to miss out on that. I don't want people to miss out on that as, as they hear your story. Because God made something so beautiful and good out of the story that you're telling. God made something holy out of the story that you're telling us. And there's a lot of pain in that story. There's a lot of sorrow. There's a lot of grief. There's a lot of letting go of what you personally hoped for in your own ego drama, what your son hoped for in his ego drama, what your ex-husband hoped for in his ego drama, what, what human beings were hoping for in each of their individual ego-driven ideas of how the story was supposed to play out. And yet God was doing something in the theodrama, in the, in the God story, that's so beautiful and helpful. And I don't want to diminish what God was doing in the story. I don't want us to get lost and come back to our own version of what the story is or should have been and miss out on God was writing a story that's so much better, that's so much more helpful, more wonderful, more glorious than the stories that we were each telling on our own throughout whatever stories we tell ourselves. So I'm not trying to, to, to tear you down or say that you're not doing a great job. You haven't cussed during the story. You're, move, you're moving up. You're moving up and towards the heavenly places. But I also don't want it to, to just get stopped or caught in 
the ego drama, the self-centered story, the, the, this is how I think the world should be. And we get lost there so often. Go ahead. It's easy to get caught in the, I made the best decision. I mean, that story could be spun to, I knew better than, than the boy's father. I made this happen. I'm why they, you know, sure. succeeded later. Did I play a role in it? Sure. Absolutely. Did I help guide that? Sure. But why and how? Where did it come from? And where it came from was God. Um, and I, I think that often as we're trying to mitigate our own pain, we, we insert ourselves as the hero instead of God as the hero above and around us. Yes, absolutely. So don't get me wrong. There were things I did that, that were good, but where did that come from? And there were things that you did that that were not good. <laughs> yeah. You know, how, how, and we didn't talk about this, but how the conversations between you and your ex-husband went, how that <laughs> argument played itself out, um, how gentle each of you were or not gentle, how, how much the seven deadly sins came into those conversations. And like you just said, pride is the, the very first deadly sin and why because the very first place that we start falling apart in how we tell the story is to make it our ego make it our story i did this and i did the right thing and what i did was right and we're clinging to being right and as we cling to being right we don't get to have relationship we don't get to have any of the other blessings that god gives and we've talked about this many times you have to keep your hands open in order to receive the blessings that God has. If you want safety and freedom balanced out, if you want joy and sorrow, if you want to have the fullness, a full life, to experience everything that, that life has to offer you, if you're not willing to grieve, if we are not willing to grieve, if we as a country, as a planet, as, as, a, as a species, as human beings, are not willing to grieve, then each one of us as individuals is holding so tight to our own story, our own way of how life should be. And we're missing out on the fullness. We're, we're missing out on grieving well that allows us to let go so that we can have our hands open and receive from God. So thank you. And you're, once again, you're, you're moving, you're moving up. But when we don't say out loud, God is the one God is, God is the provider. God is the one who gave us everything we need to get us through these situations. And even though God gave me everything I needed, my hands were like this. I was trying to hold, I wasn't clinging to this one thing to try to protect myself, but I was kind of, yeah, I was, I was kind of like, eh, you know, I'm going to, there's, there's some stuff that I'm just going to have to keep for myself and I will not let it go. I will not let anyone else be blessed by it. And that's the greed portion. And God's up there going, man, I'm just pouring blessings onto you. I'm just pouring out blessings. And if you'll just hold your hands like this, like this, so that the blessings can get to you and be there for you and then move from you out to the world. But, you know, our hands just, just slowly, 
tighten up, tighten up, and tighten up, and then there's just something. We create an inner vow around it and say, I'm going to hold on to this thing so that I don't have to suffer. In this world, we're going to have trouble. We're going to suffer. But take heart, Jesus has overcome the world. That's the verse we start all of these with to remind ourselves, let go. Let go of these things that we're holding on to so tightly. How go many, ahead. How many times do we all say, oh, if they would just let go of that idea. <laughs> oh, if they would just let go of that thing. Right. And we don't stand in front of the mirror and say it. <laughs> if I would just like, exactly, that was my point. Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> I love it. Uh, I'd like to, to move on through some of the rest of <laughs> what this chapter has for us. Really good stuff. And God, thank you that you are providing us with all of these stories to tell in this conversation. Um, thank you that you love us and, and please allow us to, to keep going and not to hold too tight on to any one thing except for loving you. All right, so I like this. I like this. It's uh, probably about verse seven. Stay clear of silly stories that get dressed up as religion. Whoo, I love that. I love that. Tell me about that. I love that. So one of the things that just blows my mind and it is so great about Jesus is how he just absolutely stood against religious people. There were so many times that he called them snakes and serpents. And his whole point, if you have a biblical understanding, is snakes and serpents are the liars who tell people that they, they sh the, the snake is the one who told Eve and Adam to eat the fruit and lied to them. Oh, it'll make you like God. There's not going to be any consequences. And so here you have the same thing. Silly stories made up by religious people. People who are claiming to be religious. Claiming that they care about you. Claiming that if you'll just do what God wants. And they use, they misuse the name of God for their own purposes. They create silly stories that <laughs> so cause me, us to run up. So, give me an example. Because I'm sure. not sure I'm following. What do you mean by silly stories? So one of the things that stands out right uh, in the past few years in our culture was this prosperity gospel. And so the idea is that you're not going to have trouble. God wants you to have wealth. God wants you to have all the money that exists in the world. Not God wants you to have what you can handle so that it's good for you and good for the community. Oh, no, no, no. You should have as much money as you can possibly get. It's, it's greed. But it's dressed up as... But look at these stories from the Bible. Look at how much Abraham had. Look at how much stuff Joshua or Joseph or any of these people had. Look how much stuff, uh, you know, if Jesus was walking around with 12 followers, how much money does it take for 13 people to travel around? Well, great. All of that has a certain amount of value. But is it the actual point of any of these stories of any of what we read in the Bible that you're supposed to have more money than you can even handle? No. One of the main themes throughout the Bible is that God trusts people who have shown that they're capable of handling the responsibility. 
If you're not capable of being responsible for brushing your teeth every day, you're going to lose your teeth. If you're not capable of dealing with a thousand dollars a month, why would you think it's, it's one of the problems that we have in our, the, the idea transcends out into our political arena as well. Well, if we just gave the homeless people somewhere to live, homeless people don't want to have a place to live. That's why they're homeless. But we get this idea, this silly story in our head. Oh yeah, we're just going to take all the homeless people in California and we're going to move them out to this one area and just let them live there. They don't want to live there. They want to come and scavenge off people and say, hey, I'm homeless and get people to pay them so that they can do whatever they want. It's a silly story made up by religious people. And religion is not, I believe in God. Religion is... If I do this thing, I'm going to get this result. It's a it's a logic, and it's mostly a logical fallacy. Go ahead, my love. I just want to be. I just, sure. I just want to clarify something. You're not saying that all homeless people are that way. No. Okay, I just want to be clear with that. Yeah, when we speak in generalities, I'm talking about probably about sixty percent. Okay. So that's that's a generality, folks. Let's. There are plenty of people who are currently homeless because of situations that they had no control over. They have families. Their whole goal is to get back into being in a home and being part of society and having jobs. And they're working really hard to get there. But that's, we don't know what percentage of the homeless population. But you and I have lived in a place mm -hmm. where there were people who were homeless who had no desire at all to be part of normal society. Mm -hmm. The reason they were homeless, we worked at a state park while we were in California. And there was a homeless encampment down by the riverbed, which couldn't be cleared out because no one knew whose jurisdiction was whose. And there was just all this, it was a mess. It was a huge mess. But the reason it was a mess is because none of these people who were in this homeless encampment wanted to be part of society. They were not willing to live within the rules of society. They wanted to do whatever drugs they were doing, live however they wanted. And so they're not part of society. And we have this silly story, this silly religious story that says, everyone wants the same thing I want. So if I can just help them a little bit, they will then pursue the same things I want. And it's not, it's a silly, and by, I mean ridiculous story. There are people who do not want to live in the same idea you have of society as you do. They don't want that. There are, I mean, we know this because there are criminals, people who break the law regularly and on purpose so that they can get what they want. If you're one of those people, stop it. <laughs> but obviously you're not going to because you don't want to live in society. If you're not one of those people, if you're one of those people who occasionally, yeah, you make a mistake and a law gets broken, but your purpose and goal is to live within the laws of society, to live in the safety that society provides, to not make use unnecessary risks so that you can have unnecessary fun and then have to deal with the consequences the next day. There are people who don't want what you want. And to pretend that our politicians are going to fix the problem with by doing things that only work for people who want to live within society 
is just ridiculous. And it's so heartbreaking and it's so stupid. What does it say to society that if we, you know, as a, as a government, we'll just keep making more money? Right. We'll just, we'll just print some more money. Or we're going to bail out companies who cannot, aren't working as a business. Their product is not being bought. They're making more than they need to. And so they can't sell everything that they're making. And we as the government are going to step in and bail them out. It's not how business works. Um, or we're going to, we're just going to keep throwing money at that problem. Yeah. We'll, we'll just keep investing money, keep investing money, keep investing money, but nothing's changed in 50 years, but we'll just keep, we'll just keep putting more money. Right. And the sad thing is that the idea is wholesome. Like the original idea, like I want to help these people. I, sure. But the reality sometimes is that that's not actually helping. Right. Um, so, so I see what you mean by silly stories. I was thinking more about like, um, well, just real quick. And I yeah. want to hear what you have to say, yeah, but I, I also want to give you the flip side of this, which is, you know, there's this whole, <laughs> this whole internet idea against thoughts and prayers. But if you actually wanted to help homeless people, people who you see that are homeless, you would go and pray with them. And by prayer, I mean, realigning my expectations and other people's expectations with who God really is. And when you go and pray with a homeless person, you can find out fairly quickly where they actually stand. Is this someone who really wants to, to move back into society? Or is this someone who's just there to, to grift and, and con people out of their money? And maybe that's not true because once again, there are baby Christians. I'm, I'm talking to people who are, as Paul said, um, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Believers who know better. But of course, the best part of believers who know better is... There's believers who don't. Right. But the best part of the believers who do know better is they know that there are silly religious stories. They don't need to be told over and over again. Because they already know. And they live with the knowledge that oh, none of this is going to work because it's just silliness. Uh, tell us what you were going to say. <laughs> I don't know, but you, you, you brought up a thought, and that's that if I actually wanted to help people, I would need to get to know them. Mm, yes. I would actually have to have, I would have to build some sort of relation with them to know, to know them, mm -hmm. to meet them where they are. Yes. Um, somebody that we know, and I can't even remember who it was, but the story sticks sticks with me um when people ask for money mm -hmm. out on the street or whatever and he's able to give it um he always asks them their name mm. because he wants them to at least have the dignity of knowing that person's name right it's it's relational not just transactional and so um i've tried to adopt that i, I try to remember to do that because that is a person that is God's holy and dearly loved child in spite of what they may be doing or not doing or believing or not believing it is still God's holy and dearly loved child and it's important um so you know it's easy for me as a female um and I've traveled a lot mm -hmm. by myself um a lot to be scared 
all the time of everybody. And so when homeless people would, you know, approach me, I, there was a time in my life where I was always scared of that. It didn't come off as being scared though. I would just be defensive mm -hmm. and I would be on alert and I would, you know, I had this blanket policy that I wasn't giving anybody money. Like I just wasn't doing that. I didn't want to be close enough to them to give them money because mm. I didn't want to get hurt. Um, and, and then I met you <laughs> and we were at a, a stoplight and somebody, you know, was in the median and asked you for money. And I remember you reached in your glove compartment and you gave them this huge bag of coins and it was quarters. So it was, mm -hmm. it was some money in there. And I remember just being like, oh my gosh, what did you what did you just do? And right. why did you give them all that? Right. And then I watched you just happily give to people as you could. When you didn't have it, you didn't. And it was what it was. And what really got me besides that example, and that was just you living your life. That wasn't you telling me anything. And what really solidified it was we were at a, um, wasn't a, it was a small group uh, mm -hmm. for our church and a person in the small group said that they had this blanket policy to never give, give money to people who asked for it because they were going to go use it for drugs. Mm. And, and the reality for me, what clicked in my head was you know what? I don't know what they're going to use it for, but that's on them. It's up to me to meet people where they're at and love them. And, um, I, I love that you bring in like the balance of things mm -hmm. and it is a balance. I mean, if I give to everybody, if I just throw money at it, like that's not helping. And if I always don't do it, that's not helping. So there's got to be like this, this middle point and the middle point is God. And what's heartbreaking is you've actually brought up the real solution. Um, you started by calling me out for using a generality. I said, homeless people don't want to be part of society. And you said, hold on, hold on. Are you talking about every single person who happens to be homeless? And the problem, that's the problem, right? We, we speak in generalities and politicians in particular, we speak speak in generalities and the reason we're so upset with our politicians is because they speak in generalities and we saw it uh i think it was in the riots in seattle or uh what was that there was a, a whole section that was taken over by by seattle. people and um the politicians were like oh yeah let it happen let it happen oh and then i think it was also there was some, uh in california there was a similar situation and as soon as the rioters got close enough to the governor's house suddenly it was a problem <laughs> now that it actually relates to me personally it's a problem and that's why we've lost some faith in our in our government people because they're not actually thinking about the community you can see that they're selfishly thinking about themselves and allowing things to happen to other people that they would never let happen to themselves and if if we want to actually fix homelessness we have to deal with two aspects number one it's relational and that's the solution that you just brought up and that is the solution we can't just say homeless people because we have no clue who we're talking about there's such a wide range of people in there. So we have to deal with, if there are people who 
are not in a position to be part of society right now, who want to be part of society, then yes, let's do everything we can to help them come back into society and be redeemed. But let's also deal with the reality that there are, there are also people who have no desire and will not ever come back to society based on anything that we do. And so once again, we have to grieve that loss. We have to grieve the loss of, I could save these people. No, no, we can't. We can personally go relate to individual people. We can personally create ways to build relationships and bring them back into society. But it's not going to happen from the politicians because they've already proven to us that they only speak in generalities and they're allowing things to happen to people that they would never let happen to themselves or their property. So we can't leave it in their hands. And that's one of the beautiful things about the church. The whole idea of the church is we're going to go out and relate to individual people. And it is going to be heartbreaking because I think I've told, we've talked about this story before. When I first started going to Mission Church in Ventura, which I think is a great church, there was um, a young believer who noticed that there were homeless people sleeping outside of the church who then had to move away from the church which was in alignment with the laws and what they had to do. And this young believer said, well, why, why aren't we as a church helping them? Why aren't we giving them a place to live and all of this stuff? And they missed the, I, the probability, and I, I never found out, so I'm not sure. But there were so many ways that Mission Church tries to help people. I can't imagine that these people who were homeless actually got into relationship with the church wanted to get back into society and the church denied them that opportunity yeah mission church it doesn't align with who mission is no it does not align with and the other thing is that at mission church which i find unique Mm -hmm. they want to get to know you personally the staff of that church you're okay b lay down Uh uh-huh the staff of that church even the highest end staff of that church comes out and talks to you personally Absolutely. Um, and I know that because I've watched it happen when people just wander into the church that when homeless people wander into the church, mm-hmm. um, it's never a blanket. Get rid of them. Right. It was never that. I never saw that happen. Sure. Um, and so. Um, so there's the wisdom of having a relationship. Yeah. And getting to know people. And so. Um, this all just so comes full circle, so God involved in everything. Um, you know, we had been talking, we've been working about on personal vows, you know, and there's some that you can pick out real easy, like they're easy to see, but it, it's easy to get caught up in the generalities. And a lot of our, a lot of our personal vows live in that, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, uh, you know, there's this, Thing where I saw a meme and it said something about you know white mediocre men mm. and I was like who are you even talking about <laughs> like who do you personally know that actually would be that right and you know it's weird because it's like we're so afraid to call a person out for mm-hmm. something that they've done but yet we'll throw like a whole culture under the bus 
and make them all bad. And so it's just such a strange, strange, I, I keep wanting to say it's such a strange world right now. <laughs> but like you said, it's a repeat of the, of the last generation. It just looks a little different, which is a repeat of the one before it and before it and before it. Yeah. And so if we vilify all the generations before us, we are vilifying ourselves Absolutely. because the next generation learns it, from us. Exactly. Yeah. And so having relationships with people, even for a brief moment, mm -hmm. you know, who are you? How can I meet you where you're at? Right. And so the point of the church is to be that relational yes. focused group because because we're in a relationship with God because he pursued us we can now go and be in a relationship right relationship with other people and right relationship includes the story of the prodigal son where the metaphor is we all as human beings said God I don't like you I don't think you exist God is dead I'm going to go do whatever I want. That's what the prodigal son actually said when he said, give me my inheritance. I'm not willing to wait till you die. You're dead to me now. That's what the prodigal son said. And that's what we as human beings say to God. I'm not willing to be in right relationship with you. I'm going to claim that you're dead. But give me and, my blessings before I go. I'm going to take all my blessings and go do whatever I want, right? And so we have to understand we as the church relate to God rightly so we can relate to other people rightly. There are people who are going to do that. There are people who are going to leave the church, try to use the church to get a blessing so they can run away. I'm reminded of a story that Dave Ramsey talked about. And Dave Ramsey is a financial planner who works with churches. And anyone who wants to get some help to get out of debt. And he told a story about he was, he was involved at a church and they set up this program, they had these orchards out behind the church. And so anyone who came by who was homeless or asked for help, they would say, all right, go out here, do some yard work, pick some, pick some of the fruit from the orchard, do a little work, and then we'll help you. And in, I think he said he was there for like four years or something, zero was the number of people who were willing to go out and do that. They all had come by just to get a handout and not, they weren't willing to work for it. So we have to understand that if we'll actually get into relationship with people, we can find out that there are people who are willing to be part of society and live within its confines and do the thing, the work for the common good. But there are also people that we have to let go. Um, oh man, it's just so, and it's heartbreaking because emotionally we get so connected to the idea that, you know, we can help everybody, we can save everybody. And once again, or Jesus saves, our job is just to love. Or we won't help anybody. Right, right. Me for myself. And that's one of the heartbreaking things about, as we talk about the church in general, we also have to deal with there's human beings in the church and they're not perfect. And there's so many things that go wrong with all of that. You know, there are plenty of churches who don't help people at all. There are plenty of churches who just give handouts and you know, never know what might have happened to that person. And there is an element of faith to it. There is an element of believing that God's going to do something that makes it good. But it's, it's such a difficult balance. And we never, we as outsiders, once again, God is the one who judges. So if we're outside trying to judge and say, the church is this or the church is that, we're still making a generalization 
It has nothing to do with the relationship to individual people and and an individual church, even. You know, you, you brought up that example, and I was of uh, you know what was it, mediocre white men or whatever it was. And <laughs> who are you talking about specifically? And when we say the church, who, which church are you talking about specifically? <laughs> and were you just, were you personally just hurt because it didn't fit your way of do your style of doing things? Or were you hurt because your style of doing things sucks and you need to have that pain to teach you how to do better? I know it's, it's easy. We do it all the time. Like you you'll say the church. Uh-huh. And I know at one point I was like, what, is, what do you really mean by that? Because like, you know, I've been to a lot of churches and I don't, I don't really know what you're talking about. And, you know, you'll often hear me talk about the Catholic church. And, um, you know, the reality is, is that I came across clergy in the Catholic church that were amazing, uh-huh. and helpful and considerate and empathetic. And I came across other people that were, not very nice to me and who were cruel to others. And I mean, what do you mean they were human? (laughs) Um, And so, you know, to say that everyone in the, in the church is bad or everyone in the church is good. is just, there's some inner value you got going on there when really a person hurt you, Mm -hmm. a person said this, um, so, or maybe it was a group of people. I mean, sure. that's a possibility too. And, and I understand that. Um, it, it's just, it's so easy to get caught up in, in these generalities and, and think that we're going to fix problems in a generality when we're not, we're, we're going to fix it person to person. And we are not taking away from there are individuals who have been hurt by individuals who are part of the church or claim to be Christians or that absolutely happens. And I'm one of them. You're one of them. Every person who's dealt with the church, and I'm still going to use that as a broad general generality, has at some point been hurt by the church. And it's it's terrible when that kind of thing happens and we are not downplaying any individual person's pain or suffering, but we're also dealing with, if we're just going to live in these generalities, which is what happens on the internet and social media, it's not going to bring us closer to God. It's not going to bring right relationship with God and individual people and the world. It's, it's just heartbreaking to watch. I mean, if God looked at, at all the humans, what a sorry lot we would be. <laughs> and he does. Uh-huh. And he still sent his son to die for us. If he judged us all by one person's sin or he totaled up all the sins of each of us, I mean, what a sorry lot we would be. And yet he wants to know us individually. And that's what right relationship with God teaches us so that we can relate rightly to other people. You've got to know individual people and know your own inner vows that are causing you, like we talked about earlier. If God looked at an individual person and held that person responsible for all of human sin, 
what would have to happen to that individual person? Mm -hmm. And that's what we know because that's the story of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus took on all of our sin and what had to happen is that human being had to die, had to pay the price. That's the story of what God has done for us and how he loves us. I want to just give one quick last little little jump right here into um, it's verse 11. And I love it when people say that the Bible is so, um, you know, this, that, or the other thing. It's against young people. It's just too traditional. It's, it's just conservative. It's just this. Um, verse 11 says this. Get the word out. Teach all these things. And don't let anyone put you down because you're young. <laughs> That's the most progressive thing I've heard within the context that there can be. And when it's about God... When it's teaching about God, there's huge value there. And I'll bring up a, a figure that has been in the news for a while in these past few years. Uh, Greta Thun, Thun, I don't know what her last name is. Thun, Thunberger, whatever it is. Yeah. The, <laughs> fair enough. Um, you know, just because she's young doesn't mean she doesn't have something to say. Doesn't mean she doesn't have a voice. Doesn't mean that... You know, and you can stand anywhere you want on this because it's it's a political mess. And so depending on where you want to stand, you can claim that she's good, bad, foolish, evil, wise, or whatever else you want to. Um, and I don't actually have an issue with it because we're not talking about God. We're talking about some belief about what's happening. But maybe we're also talking about personal responsibility. And as she's speaking to personal responsibility, she is calling us to something that has to do with our relationship with God and relationship with the community and relationship to this earth. And God does have things to say about how we interact with the world. Um, so don't let anyone put you down because you're young. And then the very next part of, of what Paul has to say is teach believers with your life by word yeah sure talk to people by demeanor by love by faith by integrity so the problem is not your physical age but there is let's let's not lose the context that came from earlier believers who know better there are people who have been in the church for 50 plus years and they still do not know better what is that saying? Know better, do better? Sure. And there are people who have been in the church for six months, and somehow God has just given them this wisdom and this, this zeal for him. And so they know better. What's interesting, though, is those people who know better probably are fairly quiet, and you have to seek them out. You really have to search for them to find them. And... They're going to teach you with their life how to, how to do life. And I, I want to be so grateful for um, a man who I met while I was in youth group. He was a little, he was, I think, about four or five years older than me. And he played a huge role in my life because he showed me how to live. His name, his name was Rob. He was, he's to me, Rob the fireman. And um, he showed me how to live. 
and I didn't take all of his teachings. I didn't, I was foolish and I didn't, I wanted to do my own thing my own way. And I missed out on a lot of, of really good life, but he had so much to teach me. Um, his father was a pastor. I had grown up looking up to my pastor as a father figure. Um, he and I both thought that we were supposed to go into ministry and go into the church. But like I said, he's robbed the fireman, not robbed the pastor. <laughs> and he's still involved with the church. He's still involved with loving people. And he's been through a lot in his life. But just by living his life in front of me, meeting with me, talking not only about what specifically God was doing, but just the things that we don't think about that God is doing. You know, how his marriage was going, what it was like to have kids, what it was like to to do his job and try to try to live out his Christian values while doing this very secular job. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how many of you know about firemen, but there's plenty of worldliness in them, just like in any other job. And with the things they deal with and the ways they try to relieve their stress and, and deal with life, all of that exists. And so for him trying just trying to to be a representative of Christ and live rightly with God he showed me so much just by living life and there are plenty of other examples of that people who I've met who they did more for me just by living their lives than by any of the words that that we ever had with each other um, you know people who I saw who maybe were a little bit older than me or a little younger than me. They were all people who went to church, but we didn't always talk about God. Sometimes we played video games together. Sometimes I just watched them get married, have kids, you know, deal with just normal life. And not all of them were pastors and, and not all of them were, were preachers or, you know, had some title within the church. They weren't elders. They weren't, they, they didn't get an, a title of authority in the church, but they lived their lives and it, it drew me closer to wanting. In fact, one of the only reasons that I would, became willing to let go of my inner vow and get married was because I watched some of these men live their life of getting married, being in relationship, living out their faith in everyday life. So I want to say thank you to Rob. I want to say thank you to all of the Styles boys. I want to say thank you to my buddy Chris. I want to say thank you to my buddy Kevin, who um, he's not even a churchy person, but there's just something about the way they live out their life. And there's a special thank you that I give to God for the ones who, these friends of mine, these people that I know or have been in, had some kind of contact with, who are in pursuit of right relationship with God. Because particularly as they live out their lives, it draws me closer to wanting to have a similar life. I don't have to be a pastor. I don't have to be um, in the ministry. I don't have to be a church leader. I can, I can live what Paul calls a, a quiet, simple life. And just by living in tune with eternal reality in tune with who God is, my life will have meaning, purpose. I will be worthy of respect. I will be able to hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not because I built the church better or made more churches or 
whatever. I, I had so much of that in my mind as when I was young. But just by simply living life. You you brought to mind um, two couples that I that we know mm -hmm. that have just been instrumental in our lives and and one we know from church mm -hmm. and one we know from so far away from church. Um, so the ones that we know from church would be Bruce and Amy who have helped shape have helped guide us through our marriage. Mm -hmm. I mean, and just watching them live their life is just, I mean, don't get me wrong. The words that they said to us were incredible, but even without that, just to see them and they are human and they argue and they, <laughs> you know, do all the things that everybody else does and yet live such exemplary lives that way. Um, and then the other <laughs> couple, would be Paul and Skip. And uh, for those of you that don't know, we met this couple at a bar. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And they didn't know us and they let us stay with them and they helped guide us and just the way they lived their lives, just incredible examples. And we did have an opportunity to pray with them and for them and yeah, so. And there are so many others. Um, yeah, there's Jason a... and Robin come to mind. And before I met you, there was a, a couple, um, Lynn and Tony, who worked for YWAM. Mm. Um, people who were just living their lives. Yeah. And, and being examples of what it was to live in right relationship with God. Yeah. Asking for forgiveness when they made mistakes from God and from the people that they that were affected by their, their mistakes. And, you know, just. It didn't always have to be so grandiose. It didn't right. have to be from a pulpit. It was the way they lived their lives yeah. and, and all these things, uh, their demeanor, what they said by love, by faith, by integrity. Yes. I mean... Absolutely. So we hope that this has been helpful for all of you and, probably a reminder to be in relationship with individual people go out and and live a life that is guided by who god is and know that by living your simple quiet life you are affecting the world yeah. because every person you touch touches other people every person your life affects affects other people and other people and other people and that Silly idea of six degrees of separation says the entire world is actually connected. And so as we live a life that is God-centered, and because it is God-centered, full of forgiveness and love and self-control and kindness and gentleness, that a life that is willing to grieve losses well and let go and also hold on to who God is and allow God to hold on to us by living that simple life you are affecting the world we love you please follow and subscribe on Twitch to chat with us like comment and subscribe on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts from thank you for joining us on this adventure 
Much love, Tully Adventures.